And one of the most important principles that my mother taught me was the notion of integrity. No matter how poor we were, she was incredibly, incredibly well known in terms of her reputation for high integrity. People gladly lent her money because they knew that she would always consistently pay back. And she taught me、uh, the work ethic, what it means to work hard. Hello and welcome to the Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host. Dr. Richard and we have an extraordinary guest for today's episode. Scott Amix is the chair and managing partner of Amix Ventures, CEO of Amix Plus, and is a Singularity University Smart City Accelerator mentor and startup board member. He's a TEDx speaker, a thought leader, and author on the Internet of Things and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Scott has been nominated to the World Economic Forum as a committee member for the future of the internet, and has been voted as one of the top ten global speakers. Scott has been featured in more media outlets than we could mention, but to name a few: the New York Times, Time Magazine, Forbes, the Washington Post, Wired, TechCrunch, Inc. Information Week, and so many others. It is an absolute honor to have him on the show and to share all that he knows. With all of you, Scott, welcome to the Daily Helping Podcast. It's great to have you here. It is a pleasure, and thank you so much for the invitation, Dr. Richard. Absolutely, and there's so many things that we could talk about because your background and the different types of areas where you have had your fingers is so interesting. But I know we're going to spend some time talking about your book, and your story is a big part of that. So I want to start, Scott, by talking about. Your story. What was your inspiration for everything that you're doing? And we'll start there. Great, perfect. So I'll give you a, a quick summary, and then I'll actually dive deeper. So, in a nutshell, I, I grew up post Korean War in South Korea, and my background is of such that I have absolutely no advantages whatsoever in life, and everything that I have accomplished. It is because of the principles of strive. So when I wrote the book, it was to inspire others. And one of the things that I, I realized in my research,、um, in terms of putting the book together, was that、uh, there are books that point to certain elements,、uh, which I'll call out as myths and misconceptions about success. But the problem with those、um, concepts is that it's really not available to everyone. And I wanted to be able to actually take my life experiences and to be able to showcase that. Success is actually available to everyone, regardless of how smart you are, what kind of background you have, how old you are, where you are in life. It really doesn't matter, and I think that's the thing that was really exciting about、uh, writing this book. And then, in terms of going a little bit deeper, and just to kind of give you some context for the audience that's listening, is that I grew up 
in South Korea during the 1970s. And for those that are not familiar with South Korea, although they may be more familiar with North Korea, we actually, our history is much, much longer. It's several thousand years old. Uh, at some point, turn of the century, Korea was actually colonized by Japan. Most people don't actually know that. So for 45 years, uh, they were our rulers and we were forbidden from speaking our own language, Korean. And it was ultimately World War II and the atomic bomb that actually freed us from the, uh, the rule and the colonization of Japan. Now, by then, we were pretty devastated as a nation already. And then we got into an ideological warfare between North Korea and South Korea, North Korea being backed by China, the communists, and South Korea being backed by the U.S. So by the time we came out of that, and technically we're still in war, so we have something called the demilitarized zone, which just, it's a marking that just separates the two countries uh, in that same peninsula, but we're still in active war, as you can see by some of the articles that you read and watch. And when Korea came out of that in the 1960s and 70s, we were actually poorer than most of the African nations in the world. So to, to say that in about 40 to 50 years, half of a peninsula, half of a country, went from being one of the poorest nations in the world to becoming an OECD nation, a G20 nation. And now most of us are very familiar with the brands that come from South Korea, like the Samsung, the LGs, and so forth, even Hyundai as an example. But the reason I give you that backdrop is everything about that was the fact that they had absolutely nothing, no human capital, no investment capital, no infrastructure. They didn't even have democracy. Democracy is still a relatively new concept that we're still refining. So how in the world did half of a country that came out of this war-torn uh, era become so dominant in the world? And that is so important to not only my life, but for the lives of those that are listening to this podcast. And I want to go a little, little deeper, and that's great historical context, Scott. So talk about what it was like for you growing up in war-torn or post-war, I should say, Korea. Well, I'll tell you, uh, we were incredibly poor. My mother divorced my father when I was just an infant. So it was just my mom and I. And she had less than fourth grade education. So the kind of work that she had was primarily in fruit picking and in agriculture. And it was so difficult for us to make a living, uh, Dr. Richard. I mean, literally, we have to, after a harvest, we would go out to the field. And I'm thinking I was probably like five or six or seven years old. Go out to the field to pick up the grain that fell into the ground. I mean, that's how poor we were. And we could not make ends meet unless we borrow from our neighbors month to month. Now, one of the most important principles that my mother taught me was the notion of integrity. No matter how poor we were, she was incredibly, incredibly well known in terms of her reputation for high integrity. People gladly lent her money because they knew that she would always consistently pay back. And she taught me uh, the work ethic, what it means to work hard. Well, fast forward. In the 1980s, uh, there was a, a political uprising uh, from college students. They wanted more democracy, and it was fairly volatile. Lots of college students died. And that was about the time period when my mother decided that my chances were much better in the U.S. than in Korea. Uh, I remember in Korea, 
you couldn't actually get an A in class unless you actually subsidized the teachers. This was back in the 70s. Mm. So all I could get was a C's, no matter how smart I was, because I wasn't able to pay the teachers. Uh, same thing for high school and college. So uh, at a young age, at age 10, we came to the U.S., but things didn't actually look up because you know, she took jobs as uh, dishwashing and ironing and you know, laundry mats and so forth. And it was very difficult for her. And through a series of accidents, car accident and other things, she became mentally, mentally ill. And I found myself in fifth grade after dealing with this for one year and none of my uncles actually reacting or coming in and intervening, having to escalate to my school counselor. Fifth grade, I'm having to escalate to my school counselor. And literally within days, I'm just plucked out of my classroom and taken to the police station. I have no idea what was going on. And a social worker finally showed up and said, Scott, we have contacted all four of your uncles that live in the San Francisco greater area, and every one of them have said no to taking you in. So that very day, that very night, I was taken to a different city and dropped off at an emergency foster care home for boys. So since the age of 13, I have moved homes, moved schools, and have been a ward of the state. Now, the, the reason this is so important is if you really look at it kind of empirically, I had absolutely nothing, nothing, no network, no support. Uh, one of the stories I want to share is um, before this happened, when I was, I think, in uh, fourth grade or something to that extent, I was still learning to speak English. It was a new, new language, new culture for me. And I had trouble doing my homework uh, because I didn't you know, fully understand or comprehend what I was reading. My mom couldn't help me. I didn't have any siblings. I didn't have any neighbors that I really knew. So what did I do? In fourth grade, I'm going to the train station, and I'm waiting for unsuspecting passerbyers that come out that come out of the train and asking them, "Can you help me with my homework? Can you help me with my homework?" And that's how I got through school. And of course, I did well. But that I learned early on, Doctor Richard, that. If you want to succeed in life, nobody's going to give you anything. You have to do the things that's uncomfortable to stretch yourself and to reach for it. Powerful story, Scott, indeed. And, and it certainly sounds as though early on you learned not only some of the lessons from your mother regarding integrity, but that you realized for you to take those next steps in your life to better yourself, you were going to have to do it independently. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now you're, as you said, you're 13 years old, you're a ward of the state, your uncles wouldn't take you in. Talk to us about what happens next as you begin moving through your formative years and out of high school. Well, what I want to actually focus on just a little bit in that state is to help the audience to you know, put themselves in my shoes for, for just a few minutes. Imagine that you're just, a, just turned into a teenager. Uh, you don't have a father, you don't have any siblings, and what relatives that you have have completely abandoned you. So at that point in my life, I was completely destroyed. I literally had nothing to grasp or hold on to. And I just had this incredibly heavy weight that I was carrying. Now, one of the things I was very fortunate, in, and this is about how life sometimes feels hard things, but in many times, just as some of the songs that we hear, is that it's actually in disguise a blessing. The people that were running the foster home happened to be incredibly loving Christian people. 
And they insisted that all the foster boys would go to church with him. And I found myself months later that I needed Christ. I needed Jesus. And I wasn't going to be able to make it on this earth without him. And ever since, he has been my guiding light. And I tell you, Dr. Richard, my personal mission statement is solely aligned to doing things to help his kingdom. Uh, Specifically, my mission statement is to go into some of the most volatile regions in the world and to bring forth industrial revolution to transform those nations, those regions, so that local people can have jobs, they can have their own industries, and ultimately to stabilize those regions and those nations. That is my lifetime goal. When did you realize that was your goal? Well, you know, it's been a life journey, I tell you, because when you go through a life experience like the one that I have, and it's amazing because some of the most successful people come from broken homes and incredibly difficult backgrounds, is that everyone has a flame inside. But for me, all my life, I have been exercising the ability to make that flame into a raging fire in the kind that's productive, where it is a drive and ambition that is greater than anything else. Now, when I was younger, I thought that it was about myself. It was a drive for me. It wasn't until much later that I realized that drive was instilled upon me for a greater purpose, to help others on a large scale. So I would say that that transformation, that that awareness was very much a journey, and it continues to be a journey. But the clarity is absolutely there. And it's interesting, Scott, because a lot of times, and, and the research certainly supports that children who go through the foster care system, there's a lot of times really poor outcomes for them. And if the consequences that come from their time in foster care include emotional distress, such as depression and anger and bitterness, you don't have any of those things. And and as you said, you rather than, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but you wanted your fire to burn bright, a driving fire versus a fire of anger. And so do you attribute that to your religious beliefs? Is that what you think is the difference there? Well, I do want to clarify something, Dr. Richard. I think in terms of some of the statistics that you're bringing up, it's absolutely true. I've actually had to undergo my own personal transformation. And this is so important to the people that are listening to your podcast, which is that Uh, Most of my life, I've been an entrepreneur, tech entrepreneur, and now I'm a venture capitalist. One of the things that I've struggled with, uh, especially in my 30s, was that I was, you know, I've had two exits, and I felt that, you know, I had some good successes, but I just felt like it wasn't big enough. It wasn't the kind of scale that I wanted. And then it dawned on me, and this was actually closer to just when I, just before I turned 40 years old, that In all my past ventures, it was always about the idea, the product, the team, the funding, the customers. But in the picture, what was missing was me. I was completely void. I I wanted nothing in terms of being in the front, in the limelight, in public. I was incredibly shy. I was completely private. Uh, If you you went to my LinkedIn account back in, let's say, uh, 10 years ago, I didn't even post my last name. So I had a lot of issues that I was dealing with. And I literally had to undergo change. Uh, After my first venture, I had to seek counseling. So I spent three years just healing, 
just working through my abandonment issues, all of those things that, that was just pulling me back. And I continued to work on those things. And eventually, by the time I turned 40, I realized that it's not just about the venture. It has to be about me, where I am the platform, just like what you're doing, Dr. Richard, is that the message to the audience is you have to become your own product. You have to become your own platform. And from that platform, you can birth and create and launch businesses and initiatives and be able to influence millions of people. That's what I realized. But it has taken an entire lifetime. Hey, guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. Fantastic. And I know that a lot of what you're talking about is front and center in Strive. So talk to us about the process of writing that book and and walk us through some of the high points that our listeners are going to get when they read this book. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. When I started to dig this into kind of the, the, the success genre was that there's a lot of myths about what creates success. So for example, uh, we're told that if we are passionate about something, that we'll become successful, right? Do what you love, success will follow. Well, that's not exactly true because there are lots of people, whether it's artists or actors or business people, and they're, you know, YouTube is full of them. But yet, passion doesn't always equate into huge success. Another thing that we're told is you got to put in a lot of hours, 10,000 hours into sports, piano, whatever that craft is. But the reality is all those kids who play soccer, some other sports, or some skill for 10, 15 years rarely ever make pro or go to the Olympics or become incredibly famous. Then there's other things about you got to be special, you got to be smart. Or Malcolm Gladwell says, well, you got to be born in a certain year, or you have to have a certain family upbringing, or even luck. All of those things, the problem with those things, uh, Dr. Richard, is that it's not available to everyone. It just isn't. And that was certainly my case. But what I realized through my life experience is that there is a positive way to move your life in the direction, direction of success that ne- you never dreamed possible. And I want to share that methodology with this audience very briefly, which is that problem number one is many times in order for us to realize success, we first have to disrupt ourselves. Uh, most of us are on autopilot and you've read uh, you know, books about habit and so forth, but those habits anchor us down and we don't realize it, but unless we actually become proactive and become disruptive in our disrupting ourselves, we can actually step outside of our comfort zone. That's step number one. Now, the methodology that I frame in the book uh, is called STRIVE methodology. S in STRIVE stands for set a goal. Before you can forge ahead, you got to know where you're going. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I reference is uh, 
good to great, uh, Jim Collins, uh, not in the book, but in, in terms of sharing this concept with you, is that Jim Collins talks about something called level five leadership. And it's about leaders who have a greater purpose than, than themselves. And the reason that's so important is that your guiding life for the rest of your life has to be more than just about money, fame, or glory. It's got to be something bigger for society, for your family. Number two, T in STRIVE stands for think about how to get there and plan for success. Now, the difference between those who realize success versus those who have just big dreams, and many people have big dreams, right, is about execution. How well you execute, and do you know the steps that's going to get you to where you want to go? Now, one of the things that's very important is taking that lifetime goal, breaking it down by decades, then yearly, then monthly, then weekly, so that everything that you do, small and big, on a daily basis, has to get you closer to that long-term goal. Number three, R in stress stands for risk. You got to embrace the risk. And this is probably one of the hardest things for the listeners is that many of us are scared of a lot of things, scared of speaking on stage, scared of changing jobs, going back to school, confronting a particular relationship, whatever it is, it's about the fact that you got to do the thing that's hardest for you. That is the first step to breaking out of that mold, that habit. And it's only when you stretch yourself that you begin to make huge gains. Number four, I in STRIVE stands for insights. What did you learn from that uncomfortable change? Uh, one of the things that many of us, I think, struggle is this notion of lack of self-awareness. Entrepreneurs have it. CEOs of big companies have it. It's important that when we're progressing in this direction, we are intentional about self-examination. When we try something and it didn't go quite well, or maybe we even just outright failed, that's okay. But you have to gather insights about you. Figure out what you've learned by taking those risks and continually tweak your approach. Number five, V in STRIVE stands for verify progress. How do you know you're going in the right direction? I mean, just like when we drive, we check ways and GPS, we have to verify our progress. And your progress meter has to be quantifiable. It has to demonstrate uh, tangibility in terms of moving you incrementally towards that ultimate goal. And lastly, E in STRIVE stands for enhanced yourself mentally and physically. And one of the things I've learned throughout my life is that when I was younger, I used to literally just work until I just collapsed. And as a result, I have a herniated disc and all sorts of things. And I realized that the journey has to be holistic. It's not good enough that you acquire new knowledge and expertise and sharpen your mind. You also have to consider your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. So one of the things I do every morning is I start with the Bible, I exercise, and I meditate. So when I sit down to work, my mind is clear. I'm productive. And when I interact with people, I'm at my best. So think holistic. Don't try to slave your way into success and neglect your body, relationships, or your emotional, spiritual needs. I love that, Scott. And that last piece in particular, I think, is so important for those of us listening that are entrepreneurs, because I think one of the great entrepreneurial lies that we tell ourselves is, you know, one more email, one more RFP, you know, one, one more, one more, one more. And all of a sudden, it's 8.30 at night and we've worked through dinner and we missed you know, spending time with our kids. A mentor of mine once told me, and this, what you said echoes this a little bit, that the work will always get done. 
And I took that to mean that it's okay to shut that laptop. And so when you are talking about taking care of yourself spiritually and physically, that really resonates with me because that is so important. I mean, Stephen Covey, you know, talks about sharpening the saw, which is a little different, but not that different and in a very important. So putting it all together, S is for set a goal. The T is for thinking about how to get there. R is for the risk. The I is for insights and V is verifying progress and E is enhanced. I want to jump back to the R because there are a lot of people who hearing this would say, you know, I've got that stable job. Um, these are volatile times. I just can't do it. You know, there's there's too much to lose by stepping outside and walking away from this, you know, desk job that I've had for 10 years. I know that's a fear that resonates with a lot of people. What would you say to somebody who's of that mindset? Let me uh, tell you some facts. I've contributed to academic and journals and other publications. And the story I'm going to tell you is around retail disruption. It doesn't take much to just pick up a newspaper or read an article to see what's happening on the retail side. These are shopping malls, department stores, uh, clothing retailers, uh, Toys R Us, you name it. They are going out of business left and right. And that list is just growing by the day. And we have yet to fully understand the implication of that. And why am I bringing that up? That is just one industry. Uh, for those that have been in maybe services or technology, HP, Microsoft, IBM, you name it, they have gone through rounds and rounds of, of, of termination. Thousands of people have lost their jobs because we don't buy server uh, racks anymore and hardware in the, in the sense of mainframes, as an example. Things are changing rapidly. And, but the problem is we can choose to be displaced or we can choose to take a proactive stance. The story that I would share with you as an analogy is the, the movie Hidden Figures, which is about these human computers, if you recall, that worked at uh, NASA. And the human computers were deathly afraid when IBM mainframes came into the picture because now they won't need the human computers. And that's kind of how most of us feel right? Whether it's AI, whether it's IoT, whether it's blockchain, it doesn't matter what it is. We think, hell, I hope I retire or I'm dead before this happens. That's exactly what I hear at the end of a conference or a speech at these uh, global events that I, I speak at. But that is a wrong attitude. That supervisor in that movie did something that really demonstrates the concept of strength. Instead of quaking in her fear, she chose to go to the library, taught herself the programming language to, to be able to manage and operate the mainframe, and then in turn taught her colleagues. So when it came down to actually putting the mainframe into full operation, they actually needed people to actually run it and program it. And they didn't have enough people that knew how to do that. And guess what? This supervisor, along with her peers, stepped up and they started to co-create. In, 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 in other words, if we don't continually transform ourselves and evolve ourselves, we're going to be displaced. But if we are proactive, we're going to find ourselves in an opportunity that didn't exist before. That's a very important piece. And again, I just want to be very clear. Your journey is your journey. It doesn't always mean just simply leaving your job. But what if you stayed at your job, but you took classes at the Singularity University? 
or an online class. You learned about data science. You learned about AI. You learned about robotic process automation. You learned about the things that's important, that's becoming the new foundational pieces of organizations, processes, business models. Does that, in fact, enhance your marketability? Of course it does. But you got to take that risk because it's comfortable to come home, eat, watch something, and do that over and over again on the weekend, take the kids to some sporting out, uh, outings or some, some activities, and that's it. Go on vacation, and pretty soon, 30, 40 years, years goes by. And guess what? When you're in your 50s, you get laid off because you become a liability. Powerful story. And in the time we have left, we kind of teased it with that last analogy a little bit. You started alluding to some of these technologies and trends that are going to shape our organizational future and certainly our societal future to take it a step further. And I know that this is an area of expertise for you. Scott, just very high-level overview. Talk to us about some of the advancements that are coming in technology and things like artificial intelligence and what they're going to mean to consumers and businesses in the next 10 years? Wow. I, I don't even... I, 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 <laughs> Such a loaded question. It is. But uh, let me just give you an example. I'm not going to talk about kind of the next few years, but I'll talk about the next 15 years plus. Uh, for those of you that are not super familiar with quantum computers, which is a, a branch of quantum mechanics, is that the computers that you use, the phones that you use, uh, the devices that you use, all of that is going to go away. In other words, the hardware makers, the software makers, the programming languages, the OS, the hardware, it's going to be an entirely new ecosystem. So if you're around in the next 10 to 20 years, perhaps maybe your kids, if they're not careful, if they're not ready for that massive switchover, you're going to be, you're going to be displaced. Because who wants to be associated with a typewriter when they can be associated with a quantum computer that can do quantum speed calculations and provide quantum key distribution for cryptography? What's happening in the world is that the convergence of technology, they're all working together. AI does not work in itself. It works with blockchain, it works with uh, uh, cryptocurrency, it works with uh, security, it works with privacy, it works with all these technologies. And together, what we're seeing is that uh, the innovation cycle is getting steeper and quicker. So unless you stay on your toes and you're continually refining your skills and, and appropriating, acquiring new knowledge, you're going to be left behind. That's the common theme that, that we've certainly talked about is, or at least in the last few minutes, is being aware of where these trends are going so that you are marketable and ready to adapt for what's coming next, because what's coming next is going to be radically different than what we've got right now. That's right. So without that, just I want to make sure there's a strong call to action. Part of the reason I wrote Strive as my first kind of mainstream book is because as I travel the world, there's this one kind of common theme that surfaces, which is that it's not about technology or even capital, but it's about changing mindsets. From places like Korea to Czech Republic to Colombia to Costa Rica to Eastern European countries and so forth, and even here in the U.S., companies, organizations, governments, individuals, they cannot seem to get past their own mindsets, their perception. So this book is really meant to challenge you 
And specifically, if I can help equip you, the listeners, to help you realize your personal success, that in turn changes society. And the great thing is it's actually available to everyone. It is, it is available to everyone, regardless, like I said, what your background is. If you're willing to break out of that vicious cycle of habits and do something different, you have the opportunity to realize great success. It's available to everyone. And to get you started on that journey, I want to give you something helpful. It's my Strive VIP sneak preview of my book, chapters one and two. All you have to do is simply email us at 